Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Self-Love Club, where we chat about stuff that matters to women, real talk and lols. Up your self-love and self-care game. Welcome to the Self-Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Hey, pals, thank you so much for joining me for a new episode. We'll get into it very soon. First, a couple of quick things. We're a lady startup, essentially a small business, so we rely heavily on your support. Some easy ways you can do that is hit subscribe on your go-to podcast app. We're on all of them. And if you use Spotify, hit follow. Share it with a friend. Let your friends know about the Self Love Club. Post it in your Instagram stories. You can find us and follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. I'm at Belle Crawford and on there you get videos of interviews, little clips, You get daily self-care, self-love notes, all the goodness, and so cool to be able to see where you're listening to us. Keep tagging us in your stories. Right, let's get into it. Sharon Casey is a powerhouse in the New Zealand broadcasting game with a long-standing career in radio at The Edge. And Girl is multi-talented and multi-platform hosting big dog TV shows like Dancing with the Stars. In this episode, we have a lot of lols and relatable chats. We find out all about Sharon, the stuff you may not know, like how Sharon hustled her career, working through self-doubt, anxiety, a heap of helpful advice, and Sharon's tough road to being an incredible mama. I've known Sharon since back in 2008 when we were two little Veronica lookalike wannabes, so this is very special to chat in depth with Sharon on the Self Love Club. A quick note, we do talk about miscarriage, which may be triggering for some listeners. I put a list of places you can get help in the show notes. Also, this was recorded in two different studios, and we've done the best possible job editing tracks seamlessly. There's a couple of times where you may hear a quiet background echo. Right, let's get into it. You're going to love it. We're so lucky to have Sharon on the Self Love Club podcast. This is so cool. Sharon, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Like, this is, I'm so pumped we're doing this. This is so cool. I know. It's so funny because we've known each other for ages, but we've never done anything radio-y together. Apart from one time we did a promo at a go-kart place in Palmerston North. Yeah. So it's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much. I know the girls are going to love having you on. You've been requested so much and I've had you on my list, so it's going to be rad. We're going to have some fun chats. Yes. So a lot of people know who you are, but tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Um, Well, my name is Sharon Casey and I work at the Edge radio station and I also host Dancing with the Stars New Zealand, apart from not at the moment. Um, Also do a podcast with my friend Morgan, who is a sexologist called The Trainee Sexologist, and I uh, am a mum to a almost three-year-old boy and a wife to uh, my husband Bryce. So is that the sort of stuff you mean, or did you want my life story? We'll go into that as well, don't worry. Okay, good. We'll go through everything, all that stuff soon, but take us back. Where did you grow up, and growing up, did you know what you wanted to do? I grew up kind of all over the place because my dad worked for ANZ Bank and they seemed to just like restructure every like June, July. So we moved quite a bit. Um, I was born in Porirua and then we moved down to Waimati. Then we moved to Timaru, which I consider like my hometown because I lived there for my entire childhood. And when I was 13, I moved to Christchurch. And I think we only lived there for like nine or 10 months, but I loved it. And then moved to Wellington. And then I started, um, I left school when I was 15 because school just, uh, school wasn't great for me. I got bullied quite a lot. And also, uh, I, I don't know, I think I was too loud and probably the things that benefit my job now didn't benefit when I was trying to do high school. So I left when I was just about to turn 16 and I was working for a music store. Um, that was like my third job after I left school and, uh, 
I got to work in the signing tent for sounds at an Edge Fest, which was like a big concert that the Edge did with like a whole lot of different artists. And uh, I think it was JJ, Mike and Dom were all on the uh, stage. And this guy, Sean Joyce, who was the marketing manager for sounds, he was like, oh, um, you could do that. Like you could, you could be a radio person. You've got, you know, that sort of personality. And I thought that was a funny thing to say because I always thought radio was like, you know, it's like being a pop star one day. It's a aspirational job that never actually happens. Uh, and I used to do like little radio shows when I was like seven years old. My mum's got these horrifically embarrassing tapes of me doing like a entertainment news update that I made up that Rachel Hunter embarrassed Rod Stewart at a party by doing a fart and it was really bad. But I'd always wanted to do radio. I just didn't know it was something I could do. And so after he said that, I kind of investigated it and ended up applying for radio school. And okay, got in like two days later. And then this has been a long grind ever since. Yeah, yeah. So you went to radio school and how did you find that? And what happened after you were at radio school? I loved it. I did the uh, the course in Wellington, the New Zealand Radio Training School, and we had amazing tutors. And all of the tutors that we had were like the top of their game at the time. So there was uh, this woman, Debbie Baker, who owned the school with this other guy, James, who was like the king of production. And she was like the queen of sales. And then they had Jimmy Stewart, who's like a New Zealand radio programming legend. And uh, this other guy, Rolly, who was an amazing uh, promos guy. And uh, another guy, Tan, who was our... Māori teacher as well and it was kind of like their powers combined just taught me everything I kind of needed to know but I didn't have any luck going for any jobs straight away so I went back to Sounds and then one day Jimmy Stewart rang me up at Sounds and he was like oh do you want to work in radio or work in a music store? I was like I want to work in radio and he was like oh well you've got an interview in the Wadarapa on Thursday so make sure you get yourself there by such and such a time. And I was like, holy shit, okay, sweet. So I drove over to the Wadarapa with my mum and Jimmy had given me all these like interviewing tips and uh, lo- like learning as much as I could about the Wadarapa and then I managed to get a job there doing breakfast on More FM with Brent Gear and I was always do- also doing promos for More FM, Solid Gold and Radio Live and I loved it and my dream was always to be at the edge. I wanted to be at the edge by the time I was 25 because I just had been obsessed with the edge since the very first moment that I heard it in a Palms car park in Christchurch and I would have been like 13 years old and I just I tried to give myself JJ Feeney dreads and or JJ Feeney braids you know like I was obsessed with her and I got to be listener of the month on her website when I was like 15 it was just I, I just loved it and I even had an edge sticker on my car which like didn't go down great when I was working for More FM but I just wanted to be here by the time I was 25 and I got my first job here when I was 20 so it was uh pretty amazing yeah you smashed that goal so how did your transition from I mean things can happen quite quickly but like you went from the wider upper to going to the edge so what were you doing when you first got there so I got um they did a quit your day job competition which is actually what we just did with Jaden who's my um most recent co-host and Vaughn Smith who's now on ZDM Breakfast that's how they found him as well he won quit your day job here and so I entered quit your day job and I went up and did a show and the listeners voted along with like the bosses decided that I had won that competition and a lot of that stuff is usually rigged but I was like real pumped to find out that I had actually won the listener vote as well Um, and that was the same thing with Jaden like people thought that that competition was rigged and I was like nah like that was even and he smashed it like he did such a good job and I came up and I did the night show with Brad for like five years and then I wanted more and I felt like I had outgrown nights like talking about high school musical and things and I was like I want more like I just I want to just keep getting better and keep learning and do more and so I talked to Leon who is uh was our boss at the time and now he's our big boss and a week later he offered me days and to be music director and I also read Scandal the entertainment news for Fletch and Vaughan and at that time Megan Sellers was working with JJ Mike and Dom And we kind of split the day show. And then it just worked out better. Like, Megan was so amazing with Fletch and Vaughan that it made more sense for her to be with Fletch and Vaughan. And I got on really well with JJ, Mike and Dom, and especially Dom. So 
it made more sense for me to be there because, like, I wasn't afraid to give him crap back. Not that Megan was, but it made way more sense for us to do that. And so we switched. And then when Fletchborn and Megan went to ZM, I got to work and Leon was like, come here. And I was like, what? And he was like, oh, Fletch and Vaughn are leaving. I want you to do drive. And I was like, holy shit. Okay, sweet. And then seven years later... Um, still doing, still doing drive and had a, been through a couple of boys, but, um, yeah, still here. Last one standing. I love that story so much. Like, I mean, obviously you've like smashed your goals when you, you were younger, you said you wanted to work at the edge by the time you're 25. I mean, you're there when you're 20 and then. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And like, I still, I still feel that way. So I still will drive into work and be like, holy shit. And I always start the day when, when I work, walk into work, I will always like say hi to everybody. And I always like walk in. I'm like, how's everybody at the greatest radio station in the world today? And then they're always like, oh, it's good. And they're like, how are you? And I'm like, living the dream, living the dream. And so I like remind myself, that's like my thing when people ask me at work, they're like, how are you? I'm always like, living the dream, living the dream. So that I can never forget that this was my dream. And also like what an incredible privilege it is to do this job. And my husband does the same job on The Rock. He does the breakfast show. And we constantly remind ourselves. And if one of us comes home being like, oh, it's so hard and like blah, 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 the other one will quickly humble the other one and be like, well, do you want to go dig a ditch? Like, what else do you want to do? Like, people are actually doing real work out there, blah, blah, blah. And it's just making sure that we always remember it. But even now, I've read Scandal for years and I grew up revolving my morning around JJ Feeney, the scandal queenie, to the point that when I worked on the breakfast show and they moved it to the half hour instead of the end of the hour, I was reading news and I kept coming in to read the news at the half hour because I had grown up with it being, I knew that that was five to the hour. When that scandal bed plays or when I say, if you want more scandal, go to theedge.co.nz, I still at least once or twice a week will be like, holy shit, like I read the entertainment news I revolved my entire morning around. Like, it's just, that was the, the only website I checked for years, you know? Yeah, that's so rad. It's been a long time. And obviously, like, to have a career like you have, you have to work so hard. Like, I know that you're humble and down to earth and it's like, you work hard. But, it, like, I think people maybe don't realise how hard you do actually have to work and how, like, it's just a, it can be a tough industry at times. So, talk us through that. Well, I think it is... You're totally right. A lot of people think we just like walk in the studio and talk shit for four hours, which is not the case. I wish it was that easy. And it's quite an interesting job. Like when I think about it, it's an interesting job for somebody that was bullied throughout their school years to go into a job where you're literally judged on your personality. And that's like a really hard thing. I don't think you ever fully get used to it, but it's a weird job that I went into that literally you you have ratings where it's people either like you or they hate you or you can say something on air and someone will text in and say you're an asshole or, you know, your social media and things like that. So that's like kind of, yeah, a bizarre thing. How have you, how have you learned to handle that? You know, like people saying horrible things to you, especially when you, you know, a lot of us were bullied when we were younger or whatever, and it can be a little bit triggering at times. So how do you, or how have you learned to handle that over time? Obviously it's something maybe you just have gotten better at handling. I think that it never doesn't suck. Like it always sucks. And if it's constructive, I don't care. Like if, if someone gives me constructive criticism, I'm like, you know what? That's a fair, that's a fair thing to say. Or I'll like, if it's like a list on text machine and be like, I hate it when you guys do that, like blah, 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 because I'm like, Oh, let's like, can you tell me why blah, blah, blah. And then I can get, cause the show's for the listeners. It's not for me. So if they don't like something, I want to know why. And if it's constructive, then I welcome it. But it's when people literally just go, Sharon sucks, but no reason why. Or if I'm ever doing tally, it's literally either I'm annoying or have an ugly dress on. It's never actually about my job. And so I do really struggle with that. But I think I only realized this like a month ago that I've been quite sheltered to it until this year because when I first went into drive, I had Guy Williams who is amazing, but also very polarizing. And so he would kind of take more of the heat than I would. And then I was with Jono and Ben and they probably took more heat than I did as well. And 
I really learn a lot from Jono and Ben during that time because they're literally two of the nicest people that have ever existed. And they get so much unfair criticism that honestly makes me angry. And when I worked with them, I remember ringing back a couple of people that had texted in like horrific shit and being like, hey, we only got um, half your text. Can you read the rest of it to me? And they always drop their nuts. Like nine times out of 10, they will drop their nuts and realize you're a real person. But I learned a lot from them is that you can't take too much of it on board. But this year, because it's just Jaden and I and Jaden's new and I'm more familiar with the audience, I have definitely copped more than I've ever had. And that's been really hard. And a couple of months ago, people we were texting and like quite a lot being like, oh, you're really mean to Jaden. And I was like, I have, I was like, I have not mean to Jaden. Like I, and that really upset me. I was like, I love Jaden. He's like my little brother and I am not mean to him. It's just that because he doesn't fire back like the likes of John and Ben or Guy or Clint would, it can come across sounding really mean. And so I've had to work on that. But that really upset me to the point that I was getting really bad anxiety and having like panic attacks because I was like, well, fuck, I, like I'm too scared to say anything on air because I don't want people to think I'm being mean because like the last thing I ever want to do is be mean to anybody. Uh, so that's been really hard for me to get used to this year. But I think I'm getting my head around it now. And Jaden's been really like supportive in that as well. And he's like, fuck, I just need to give you more shit. And I'm like, yes, give me more shit. These are my two things you don't give me shit about. Apart from that, go hard, man. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing though. Like you are, it's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't know. And I mean, without getting too radio nerdy, it's like, yeah, well, you're a new show and Jaden's like a legend. He's so cool, but you know, he's newish to this and you're a lot more experienced. So there's so many factors people don't realize. And I think it's just cool when your audience can kind of understand that and just be nice while like the show grows kind of thing. So yeah, I hope that's not happening to you all the time. That makes me feel really sad. Yeah. It's gotten so much better. Like it's, it's gotten way better. It was just like a month ago we got, I think we just got it like three days in a row and it just started to like, it's one of those things where you straight away because I'm such a people pleaser and also because I've grown up with having not so nice things said to me, I'll just go into a, a meltdown of like, everyone thinks I'm shit. Everyone hates me. Everyone thinks I'm a bitch. I'm useless. I'm just the worst. Like what am I even doing here? I'm not even and funny like and it'll just snowball and snowball and snowball and snowball and I just think I'm lucky that I have great people around me that can kind of correct that and be like no Sharon like that's your brain telling you lies like that's just three people that have said an observation and and then I kind of went back and listened to stuff and I was like oh I can see how they got there but at the time it was like really cut me real deep <laughs> it hurts because when you're a people pleaser or a human like oh, yeah. you can have all the nice things said to you and there's one mean thing and then that's the only thing you think no, I completely know what you mean like you're like oh they hate me I suck everyone you know like yeah the self-doubt can creep in it's so related like that's so normal it happens to so many of us yeah definitely and my my self-doubt is like annoying like one of my big bosses Leon he I just idolize him I think he's amazing and he has been so good for me over the last 14 years like he really taught me how to stand up for myself and he overheard me having a meeting with a dude once who was just talking to me like a dumb girl and afterwards he pulled me into his office and he's like don't let anyone talk to you like that you if you think they're full of shit you tell them you think they're full of shit he's like don't let anyone push you around he's like there'll be dudes in this industry that'll push you around and you gotta like you got to stand up for yourself. And I think now he probably resents encouraging me to use my voice and stand up for myself and believe in myself because I will hit back at him. He's like one of the least, like I don't mind having an f- argument with him. And sometimes I can, we've had arguments and I've literally looked at him and be like, this is your fault. Like you're the one that encouraged me to stand up for myself. But he has been like such an amazing influence on my life. And I'm not saying that because he's my boss. Like I genuinely, he has really taught me to use my voice and really encouraged me. And sometimes he he has said to me before, he's like, Sharon, you need to get more of an ego. Like, you need to believe in yourself a bit more. But I'm so tall poppy on myself that just, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I know what you mean. Yeah. And it's a hard one when you jump into an, an environment like this and you are young and you sort of think all these people, like, you know, your idols are there and you're like, oh, they know everything. I don't know anything. And so you don't always really back yourself much. And then obviously over time, like you're very experienced and you're doing well at your job, but you still have that mentality, if you know what I mean, in a weird way. Plus it's a creative thing like we're just yeah this is the kind of that's the kind of people that work in these industries often and it's also like so 
ever changing. Like, there's so many things in radio that we would have done 10 years ago that I think of now, and I'm like, I cannot believe we did that. That's so embarrassing. Like, even five years ago. And it's such a it's such a privilege to do our job that the day you think you've got nothing left to learn is the day you should pack your bag and fuck off because there is always so much more to learn. And I think that it easily you can forget how powerful having a microphone in front of you is. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I just mean that in making people feel included when they listen to your radio show like even just small things like you know like it was like a thing where you would go to the circus or whatever and I would say it on here all the time where people would be like ladies and gentlemen welcome to blah 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 and I said that on here at the start of this year I was like ladies and gentlemen welcome to when we're doing the carpool quiz and I just and my was like holy shit I was like I can't say that because that is straight away excluding people in our audience that don't define themselves as he or she and I want our show to be as inclusive as many people as possible and it's the same thing with Māori pronunciation when I hear broadcasters not even trying to pronounce names properly or words properly it makes me so angry because like we have to set the tone like you have to set an example and also why the fuck would you want to be a broadcaster if you can't even say words properly you know and so that sort of stuff to me like it rocks me up and that's why we constantly have to keep learning and reading and having conversations to make sure that everyone that listens to our show are always feeling included and making sure that stuff that we may not have realized was offensive or rude or whatever make sure that we don't do that like it's you just constantly know better do better if that makes sense yeah no exactly and then you obviously got into tv as well so how did that all start I know a bit about how you did it but tell us how you got into tv as well as radio I so my thing was always I wanted to have strings to my bow so if announcing didn't work out I would be able to go back into programming and that's my dream one day is when I'm when I'm done on air I want to go back into programming or talent coaching and I and so I've always kept my hand in being nosy about music changes and music research and like how do I work that and all that sort of stuff because I love programming and I want to go back into that one day and so when I started in radio, I was like, okay, well, bit by bit, I want to have more strings to my bow. And so once I started, but I also didn't want to do a, an average job of one thing, trying to learn another thing. So once I felt like I had a steady grip on radio and be like, okay, cool, I can take something else on, I emailed DJ Severe, who was the editor at Rip It Up magazine, and I was like, I really want to write some stuff. And he was like, well, you're not good enough to be in a magazine yet. And so he gave me a blog on Rip It Up, and I would write a blog. And then one day he was like, I'm going to give you a 1,000 words. And I was like, great, awesome. And so then I kind of worked hard at that and was like, great, okay, I feel like I've done this down, I've got that string. And then I was sitting in an office with Katie Mills, who was the marketing manager, well, for everybody at that time. And she is like one of my radio idols. Like she is just like one of the most amazing women in radio. And I said to her, I was like, I really want to do TV. Like, how do you think I do that? And... I had gone through like a pick me MTV show and got a taste for TV and was like, oh, I really like this, but I do not ever want to do a reality show again in my life because it's horrific. But I went and sat down with her and was like, look, this MTV thing like, didn't work out for me, but I really want to do TV. And she sent a tape over to three for me. And then one day I got a call. They wanted me to come in and do stuff on four live. And I just did it for free. I just kept going and reviewing mascara or bath bombs or CDs and I'd go in and do a review in the afternoon and then eventually got to fill in if like Drew or Shannon were away and then when Drew left I got given two days a week and it just I just kept saying yes to everything and my motto's always been like nothing happens if you're sitting on the wall like you have to be like hey like I'm really keen but not in like a really annoying way yeah 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 it's <laughs> getting that fine balance hey? <laughs> yeah and then when um X Factor was on, they asked Guy Clinton to do Extra Factor and we did it. And that was like a really good opportunity for us to like show what we could do in the TV side of things for Clinton and I. And we were sitting in catering one day and Andrew Schusterman and Hayley Cunningham, two of my other idols are like in my TV royalty. Shusty was working in radio at the time as well. And he was like, oh, who do you think we should get to host Dancing with the Stars? 
And I was like, this guy. And then just sat there. And I remember Haley looking at him and be like, you walked yourself into that. Like, what the hell? And he was like, no, really? Like, who do you think we should get? And I was like, no, nah, this guy. I was like, I, I was like, I would love to do Dancing with the Stars. It'd be so cool. Like, uh, you know, I could get, put some witty banter in there and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay. He's like, okay, I got it. And who else do you reckon would be good? And I was like, he was just messing with me. And then afterwards, I sent him an email and was like, hey, um, just so you know, I wasn't joking about the Dancing with the Stars thing. Like, I'm actually super keen. Uh, to put my name in the hat. And just, he was like, yeah, I get it. I was like, cool, okay. And then a couple of weeks later, Haley rang me. I was like, holy shit. And I had got Dancing with the Stars. And that was like, I had never experienced TV like that. Like I turned up and I had a dressing room and it had a door on it because it extra factor, my dressing room didn't even, Guy Clint and I shared a dressing room and it didn't have furniture. So we stole some from contestants and it didn't have a door. Um, but by episode three, we managed to get a big sheet to like hang up. But yeah, I think that was it. And it was just, and then after that, John McDonald, who's like the head of local production, he's just given me some amazing opportunities and like, he's kind of watched me progress from four live to dancing with the stars and and he always gives me a shot too. So I think I've just been really lucky with, yeah, I think a lot of it is luck and perseverance and putting your hand up and not being scared to be like, hey, I could go, I mean, I can get that to go. I don't know how to do it, but I'll give it a crack. Yeah, well, it's like, what have you got to lose by just putting it out there to people? I think it can be hard sometimes to know who to talk to when it's these big things. Like you say, when you're a kid, you looked at radio and you're like, oh, that's cool, but that's like being an actress. That's an aspirational thing. So when it comes to those industries, it can be hard to know who to speak to. But I guess, thankfully, because you were in that environment, you were sort of able to make some of those connections. I also just don't think that... I like wanted to get on TV, but I just never thought that I was going to get primetime TV. I just always thought that TV was so looks based. So I was never, that was never going to be me. Like I'm not shiny and tiny and you're beautiful. I'm not sample size. I'm very hard. Like, you know, like I, you go go try these sample size dresses on. There's nothing more awkward when people pull a whole lot of sample size. You're like, I cannot get that over my ass. Um, but I just never, like my first music awards, I remember I only fit one dress in the showroom and that was a dress I wore. Thankfully it looked good. I just never, I just never thought I would get a primetime show because I, I'd grown up just seeing like really skinny blonde girls on TV. So I was like, Oh God, like, yeah. And then it just was just like, Oh, okay, cool. This is, this is exciting. We're into like personality people now and you know, a little bit and, and it just like makes me think so much now. Like I found that hard, but it must be it would have been even worse for like people of colour, like having to watch TV and not seeing people of colour on TV. Whereas now there's some amazing people that are just would be incredible role models like Carnor and oh god, I love Carnor. Don't get me started on Carnor. But <laughs> You know, it's just, there's so many beautiful people that I just feel like TV is finally starting to actually represent actual New Zealand, if that makes sense, because it's actually starting to become diverse. Now, you have, you've talked about, you know, being bullied, being younger, which so many people go through, and you, I know you've spoken about anxiety before, and while that is personal, like, I think, good on you for doing that, because it's, honestly, for people who have anxiety or, and it's so common, that can mean so much when they're seeing people they look up to or people in mainstream media doing it so talk us through your battles and your experiences with anxiety my oh god like I think about it now I remember as a grown-up I remember now my first like bout with depression or anxiety and I think I was 10 years old, I think, and I was, maybe I was younger. I don't remember my exact age, but I know where I was. I remember I loved tap dancing. I did competitive tap dancing, and it was my favorite thing. I loved performing, and I was good at it. Like, I won competitions and stuff. I was proud of myself. And um, some kids, like, ripped into me at school about it and just mocked me relentlessly, and then I went to my tap dancing lesson that night and I just completely shut down and I remember my mum being like oh I think she's just cold like I don't know like and I could tell my mum's like what the hell is happening here and my mum had to physically like carry me out of this class and I never went back I never tap danced again ever I was like I don't want to do this anymore and I never did it again and it was like the greatest joy in my life and so I think that was kind of my first bout with kind of depression and then it would just be 
I don't think that we really understood, like, definitely, like, I don't think parents, I think now my mum's like, oh, God, that's what she was going through. But back then, there was no education around it for parents whatsoever. But you just feel nervous, and you'd, like, be going to something, and you'd feel so nervous, and it would just be all the time, and mine just comes and goes. And I think my biggest thing is, and I still get it, like, if I go out, I'll get anxiety the next day, and it's getting better. For me, it's just... Because, and like, I've only learned it like since doing like a lot of therapy. I started going to therapy like um, a year and a half ago. Is that for me, a lot of it was just being mocked relentlessly for doing certain things, you know? So, like, if I went to a party and got a little bit too drunk, I would go to work on Monday and get ripped out for it or whatever, you know? Or at school, you were to be, to be a wonder. And it's like, well, of course I'm a to be a wonder. I'm 15. Like, who's putting away shitloads of alcohol when they're 15? Especially when they're, like, because I was, like, quite a small 15-year-old. So it was, yeah, just things like that and just, like, trauma throughout your life and it just kind of builds up but now my anxiety is more I don't get nervous if I'm going to do like a tv thing or anything like that like that's fine I get anxious where I when I feel like I'm gonna get judged for something or someone's gonna be judging me or which is also again weird that I do this job it has gotten a lot better in the last couple of weeks I had like a really shit past three months I think like I started getting the worst anxiety I've ever had in my life in the first lockdown I would like go to bed and physically feel like I was going to have like a heart attack or something I was just like oh my god oh my god I'm gonna and I didn't want to say anything to Bryce because I was like oh god and I was like oh I'm gonna want to I'm gonna die in bed next to him and he's gonna wake up and I'm gonna be dead like and it was just full on and then I did tell him and I remembered my therapist saying that like a hug can trigger the same stuff in your brain as like lorazepam like anti-anxiety medication and so I then I told Bryce like I feel so anxious and like blah 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 and he literally just like spooned me and like rubbed my head until I fell asleep like and he did that every night for like a week and then it slowly started to get better and I was like cool I'm back on top of it I'm on top of it everything's going great got our lockdown lockdown was actually quite good for me on the during the week was horrific because I'd have to get up and work at like six in the morning until my son got up and then I'd look after my son till lunchtime then I'd go to work so it was like a long day of putting out energy and then the second second lockdown that's when the wheels just started falling off I had three days off work and my dog almost died and it was just just the lowest I had been in a really long time and then I just started I started getting panic attacks and I haven't had I haven't had panic attacks like for years but like full panic attacks and I in that second lockdown, we sat down to do our prep meeting and I just like flopped onto the table and just started crying. I was like, I don't have this in me today. Like, I just don't, I can't do this. Day. And then I was like, they were all, everyone in the room was like, holy fuck. Like, what's happening here? It happened again about a month and a half ago. And I was, we sat down to do the prep meeting and we we're all sitting around having a laugh. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm going to have a fucking panic attack. And I just got up and went into the studio and then panicked even more because there was people in the producer's booth. And then I was like, fuck, there's all cameras in here. Everyone can see me having a panic attack. So I started panicking even more and then I found the corner and then I sat in the corner that I knew that there was no no one could see you on the camera and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, freaking out and then Steph who does our workday show came in and she was like, oh and then she just sat down and basically talked me out of my panic attack. It was like but it was just I just never had them before and then I went to see my therapist and I sat down and she was like, Oh shit. She was like, Okay what's going on here? This doesn't look great. And then we just kind of talked it out and came up with a new plan for me. And I've been so much better um, in the last month. It's been amazing. But I think the biggest lesson that I learned from that was I have to communicate. Like I literally have just told you this and like most of my friends don't even know. And it's because I've only in the last like week finally been like, actually, I need to communicate that I had a shit time, that I just didn't want to be a burden to anybody else, you know, and so I didn't want, I didn't want anyone to know, so only like four, like my husband, my boss, and Dan and Jaden who work on the show, that's it, nobody else, I didn't want anyone else to know, and because I didn't want anyone to worry about me, and then it makes it worse, but what I've actually learned is if I communicate it more, then that will help it get better faster because there's people around me that are going to help make my life easier instead of thinking I'm just being rude or a bitch, you know, if that makes sense. And I 
Yeah, it's so hard. I know, I completely understand. Like, it is very hard because, yeah, you don't want anyone to know because you don't want to be a burden, you don't want to worry anyone, you don't want to be judged because especially when you're an overthinker and you've got anxiety, you are like, oh, no, everyone's going to think that I'm, like, crazy or, like, not got my stuff together when actually you do. You just got anxiety and it's actually a normal human emotion. Like, I think it's now people are starting to understand it a lot more. But, like, even five, ten years ago, like, if you said you had anxiety, people are like, what's that? Or, like, think you're weird, like, for having panic attacks or or even having panic attacks and not knowing what they are like I know of so many people who have had panic attacks and gone to the hospital in an ambulance because they thought they were dying like it's so yeah. common and so much pressure and yeah I completely understand it's you just worry yeah you worry what everyone's gonna think and there's shame like it's so much that goes with it yeah and I think it's just like for me is that I just have to remember to be kind to myself, remember to communicate and I have to stick to my plan and then have, and nothing is more important than me sticking to my plan. So it's, I have to exercise on Monday. I have to do like Mondays. I, I don't do anything. And like, sometimes I don't come to the staff meeting and my boss is totally understanding because he knows I need to start my week just having a massive sweat out of the weekend. And so I go into the week like, woo! And so Mondays I always have like a full-on cardio session and then I'll do like Pilates three times a week and it's just like I know I have to do those things and I know I have to say no to stuff and I nine times out of ten I only drink once a week and I only I know the alcohol I can drink and what the alcohol I can't drink and and things like that where it's just making sure and then and Bryce is great too like I come home and I need once Tyson goes to bed I need like 45 minutes of no one talking to me and he's kind of the same so he'll always he'll go watch tv an episode of tv in the bedroom and I'll be in the lounge watching something light like Gilmore Girls and that really helps because I found that I was watching Grey's Anatomy when I was feeling like really depressed and anxious as well and I swear to god it's an amazing show but I swear that it made me feel like more because it's such a stressful show all the heartbreak and I love a love story and then everyone's dying and all that sort of stuff like it was really stressful now I know if I come home and watch something like like Gilmore Girls or Friends or something like that then it's all good yeah oh that's good yeah it is good that you've got your wellness I've heard you talk about that before as well your wellness plan you have and the things you do and that's the thing that when you do have anxiety we've had to learn over the years to do these things like you say like we've had combos about the stuff before privately like not to you know we know what to drink we know like if you're anxious don't drink like because it will just make it so much worse and it's so hard like you work out all the things like food or coffee or you do become very self-aware when you have anxiety so I always think people with anxiety are actually superheroes because they manage to do so much epic work like everyone else and you would have no idea and they're also so aware of other people and yeah we learn so much about being self-aware so oh, like I, I'm an aura of people that have anxiety it's nothing bad about it like I know that we think it does but it's actually like a superpower in a weird, horrible way that I wish no one had to experience it. You know what I mean? Like, I think it also like it, it, with the like drinking one because like anxiety is so common. Like you know, like we had our Christmas party last night. Everyone's you know anxiety today. Everyone's like, oh god, was I blowing out? And you're like, nah, man, you're all good. Like everyone was fine. Everyone was great. But I also have learned now who I am comfortable drinking around and who I'm not. Like just because I don't because I don't want to wake up the next day and get ripped out about it. So not that I'm like, this makes me sound like I'm a terrible drunk or something. Like I will just drink around people that I feel comfortable around. And if, and I'm really aware of my surroundings. If I'm not, if there's people there, I'm not comfortable around, if that makes sense. And I'm just really like, I'm just way more aware than I was. And I used, I think when I was younger, I definitely like wanted to escape anxiety and depression by just going hundies like everyone probably like a lot of people do in their 20s um and now I know I'm like no Sharon you do not need to do heaps of Jägermeister shots on a Saturday night like it's just a terrible idea yeah yeah you sort of learn as you get older I'm getting older and wiser although I did steal a book from a bar last week and had to shamefully take it back the next day by I think I saw that I did it as a joke I we went to this bar and they reserved the tables with books and that was this book on trigonometry and I was doing a joke with my friend Ali and I was like hey it's a book on trigonometry oh Auntie Cher, so I could lose something from this and like put it in my bag. And then I was supposed to take it back out again, but forgot. And but then I also, oh no, I was going to do a gag to Ali when we were walking somewhere else. I was going to pull it out and then I was going to run it back. But then I woke up the next morning and was like, oh God, I stole the book. And then I had to 
shamefully take it back and be very ashamed and be like, I'm so sorry, but I stole your book. And it was very embarrassing. So... I'm older, but not certain, certainly not wiser. Oh, it, it makes for good stories, though, so we love that. Yeah. One more thing on the anxiety thing before we move on. like, And, and having anxiety and knowing, understanding it myself, it's like when someone asks you, well, what triggers it? Like, what causes it? You don't always know, and so I never like to ask people that because I know what it's like. But, you know, with COVID and the lockdown, you said that it was different for you because often it's about you being judged or, you know, like we all have our things and, and it's just going to be a chemical thing that just sets off. But what do you think it was for the lockdown? Because I think that is so relatable and a lot of people would have been feeling exactly the same and probably going through similar with what you were. I think that it was... So the lockdown was bad for me at night time. I think it was just... I was so worried about everything and also like people were losing their jobs. So I was worried about that. We'd had our pays cut. I was worried about that. I was worried that I was going to bring, cause we were essential workers. I was worried I was going to bring it home to Tyson, my son. And I just also, I don't know. I just, it just kind of happened. And then I actually started to really enjoy the weekends because there were no expectations of me to do anything. So all I had to do was hang out with my two favorite people, Tyson and Bryce. That's all I had to do on the weekends. And it's not that I don't love seeing my friends. It's just that I also, I love seeing my friends, but sometimes I get overwhelmed with making sure that I have caught up. Like I had this period where I was so like paranoid because I value my friends so much. They're so precious to me because I had such a shitty time during school and I felt like I didn't really have any friends. And now that I have friends, I really want to make sure they know how grateful and I am for them and stuff. And I don't know, I just, I went through a period where I literally wrote every single person that's really special to me in my phone. And then I would go through and make sure that I had touch base with every single person that week or like try to make a plan with every single person. And it was just overwhelming. And Bryce was like, that is ridiculous. He's like, just like, chill out because in my weekends was literally get up play with Tyson go do brunch here go to a gym class with this person here then after that I'm going to do here and then I'm going to go to dinner with them there and I'm going to do that there and and then I never actually rested so to have lockdown where I wasn't able to do anything was actually quite good for me to actually rest and now I've learned to actually rest on the weekends and so you know like today like one till three is in my son nap. So today I'm doing this with you. But tomorrow I'm going to go to Pilates and then I'm going to go home and read my book. And I'm not going to do anything between one and three. But I used to fill every second of one and three. One of the days I can oh, I can go and do something. And apart from that, it's just stuff for me. Yeah, good on you. I think it's a really good, that's a really good tip for people. Because I think in this day and age with social media, you're seeing everyone have these, you know, well, seeing all these busy lives. Like they're out for brunch here, they're doing this here. And if you're working a lot or, you're, or you are resting, because your job like you use so much energy that you've got to restore that for yourself on the weekend or else you do like get burnt out and and sick you know so it's such a good piece of advice and I love pushing that like there's nothing wrong with resting like yeah it's so good for you and it's just so simple but we just yeah we fill our lives with so many things and trying to see all the people but sometimes you just can't yeah my friends are definitely really good at like they know when dancing is on that for 10 weeks I work seven days a week and so I basically don't really see anyone for 10 weeks the only time that I have to see anyone is on a Saturday morning and if I'm gonna see anyone then it has to be something that Tyson can come to and there might be like one day one Friday night during that 10 week period that I'll go out and have a few drinks but apart from that 10 weeks I do nothing sometimes I like try and over like it's the people pleaser thing and you're again where you're just like ah but Bryce is like great at he on the weekend. So he's always like, nah, I'm napping. Like between one and three, he's like, I'm napping as well. And the only thing, other thing he's going to do is go to the little massage place up the up the road from us maybe once a month. Like that's it. And between that one and three, he always rests, always. And I think it kind of taught me that. I was like, oh, no, I actually need to make sure I do have a time where I rest on the weekends. Otherwise, if you don't rest, you're eventually just going to burn out. And we'll talk about you and Bryce. You actually did meet when you worked in radio together. And I've heard the story a little bit. You were like, oh, who's this cool dude from The Rock? And then, yeah, talk us through when you met Bryce. I used to call him the hot rock guy. He was doing the night show on The Rock. And I was like, dang, who's the hot rock guy? I was like, dang, he's hot. But I had a boyfriend at the time, but we used to call him, like, the the hot rock guy. Well, when I say we, I mean me. And... <laughs> 
then it was kind of like I would always after we used to do Brad and I used to do the top 20 and then after the the top 20 was finished I would go to McDonald's for us this is back when I had an incredible metabolism and I would always go to McDonald's and Bryce would be coming in the car park and I'd be like hee hi and then I ended up getting cheated on in my relationship and I didn't quite know what to do and I went round uh, to see my friend who was living with Bryce at the time and then she was like, oh, well, Bryce, what do you think? And then Bryce kind of gave me advice on the situation and I was like, oh, he's nice. And then I was, uh, but I didn't think anything of it because I was at the time quite brokenhearted because I was like, oh, but we were together forever. We stayed together for a bit and then we ended up breaking up and there's no beef in that situation whatsoever. Like at the time, very angry, but now I completely understand how these things can happen well I don't completely understand how these things happen but I feel like if that hadn't have happened I wouldn't be where I am now and the same for him as well and honestly I have nothing there's no bad blood from my end at all and then I don't know just one I just ended up getting a crush on him once I was single and we had a pash and then I freaked out and got back in my relationship and then that wasn't working so we broke up for good and then once I was single again Bryce and I would like see each other out and have just a pash and then we kind of dated for like three months and then I was like so um what is this like are you my boyfriend blah 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 and honestly no shit for like half an hour I could see this Facebook messenger bubble going and I was like what the it's going on here. And with some of the anxiety, you're like, hurry up. Yeah. And so I was freaking out. I rang my friend uh, Ross and was like, I don't know what's happening. I was like, cry. I was like, what? I and he was like, he's going to come. He's just going to say you're his girlfriend. He's going to come and do it in person. And I was like, okay, okay. Okay. He's going to come say he's my boyfriend. Okay. Cause sweet, sweet, sweet. So then he goes, oh, I'll come around your house. I was like, okay, sweet. I'm like, oh my God, here we go. He's going to say he's my boyfriend. Um, but then he came around and said he didn't want to be my boyfriend. And I was like, oh. This is not how I saw this going at all. And I was, it's the only time in my life that I have been the cliche, can't get out of bed, brokenhearted. And then I ended up booking a trip. So me and my friend Arlene went to America and had a great time on Kentucky. And while I was there, I messaged Bryce and he goes, take care, X. And it was like a kiss. On, and I was like, oh my God. I was like, Beans, look, he put a, he put an X on my message. He put an X on my message. And she was like, oh my God, Sharon, he is just being nice. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I was like, he's never put a kiss on a message before, ever. I was like, this is major. She was like, you need to go out and pass your boy in New York tonight. And I was like, no. I was like, this is, oh my God, he likes me. And she was like, he doesn't like you. He's just being a fuck boy. And I was like, oh, okay. So we went out that night, did pass your boy in New York. Good girl. Um, you don't want to waste these opportunities. I you know. know. And we came back and we went to... Bryce's 30th, and we ended up passion and went home together. Hope my mum's not listening. He went away to Thailand for like a couple of weeks on a boys' trip, and then ever since then, we've just like been together. But then we kind of like started dating. But then this time, about a month in, I was like, okay, cannot go through this again. What's happening here? And he's like, you're my girlfriend. I was like, oh my God. But it literally was like, and I always say that to Bryce. He hates when I tell this story, by the way. It's honestly like the guy I dated that first three months and the guy I ended up marrying, they're like two different people. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Early start of relationships are so hard. And, like, I think everyone has different situations because it doesn't always work out. And most of the time it's not going to work out. So, and it sucks. But it's just, that's just how it is. Like, it's, yeah, it's no fun. And I'm glad that it all worked out because, yeah, it's not good when it doesn't. Same. Because, man, I was going to stalk him for a long time. I remember I, like, went, my, I went out and, like, bought all these clothes. I was like, these are, gonna, these are my Bryce's going to think I'm cool clothes. And I would, like, pretend to, like, screamo and went to this terrible gig where... It was the worst music. I hated it. Every second of it. I was like, this is so loud. Like, they're not even doing any dance moves. And I hated it. But I was sitting there going, yeah, this is so good. I love every second of it. Just in that stage of pretending you like what they like. And now Bryce is, Bryce still, 11 years later, will be like, when did this happen? He's like, when did you, I thought that you, like, he's like, what the hell? It's like, he literally did it to me this morning. We walked past the restaurant and he goes, oh, I wish you liked that type of food. You know, and you used to like it when you were pretending that you like, you know, trying to get me to like you. And now I'm like, nah, I don't want to go there. <laughs> what do you think was different the second time around? Like, you know, cause that, 
a lot of the time things will happen like that where it's like you hear people, you know, breaking up and then getting back together. What was different the second time? Were you like playing it differently? What was going down? I remembered my friend Kerry, he he passed away when I was younger. He was like the first person really close to me that passed away. But I always remember him saying, and I've used this advice with so many people. I think I've even said it to you at some point where I'm like, don't make it too easy for them. And I think I definitely made it way too easy for Bryce. And I don't mean like sexually. I mean like if he texts me, I'm going to text him back 10 seconds later, whereas he's going to text me back five hours later. So it was just things like that where I wasn't on tender hooks and available. I think it was more, it was more a 50, 50 situation. And I remember Bryce will probably hate me saying this, but I remember him saying that his friend Leon, who was like, not everyone's going to tick every single box. And I think that Bryce was like looking for a tick thing and I'm like younger than him and he wanted to have kids. And he was like, oh, but you know, she doesn't like tick every single box, but then it made me really jealous when she passed this guy or like whatever. And I think it was probably just that, like we were more equals in the relationship. And also we both realized that not every single person is going to tick every single box that you're looking for in a relationship. But the boxes they don't tick outweigh the ones they do. So it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's real. I didn't want to date somebody that did that. But I mean, the other things are way better. So I just love you for that anyway, you know? That's some very good advice from you, Auntie Shazdog. Thank you for sharing that wisdom with us. I'm so wise now. <laughs> and then talk us through. So, you know, you have gone on to get married to Bryce. You have you have your beautiful boy Tyson now. And I know that that's not been an easy journey for you. You've had like a really tough time. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. I, I know it's very personal. I know you have spoken about it. But if you would like to talk about that, we can. If you, if you don't want to, that's fine as well. No, I'm comfortable. I'm like, I'm comfortable talking. I, it's really weird. You have, it depends on the day. Yeah. Like, so some days I'll be like, yes, like, and there'll be things like that before people are like, oh, well, you talked about it in this interview. Why can't you do it in this interview or whatever? It's literally just, it's a day by day thing. It depends on what my mental state is that day is if, if I want to unlock that box or not, but I'm like happy to talk about it today. I think that that's what it's like for a lot of people that have been through fertility struggles or have miscarriages is that you can't just expect them to always want to talk about it. People have said to me before, they're like, oh, you never talk to me about your miscarriages. And I'm like, well, because it's not like that fun to talk about. And it's like a really hard thing to talk about. Some days I am comfortable talking about it. Some days I'm not. It's like all the stuff that just happened with Chrissy Teigen. I talked about it when it happened and then I haven't really reported on it ever since, like in our scandal. And the only time I have was when Meghan Markle just recently wrote about it and people were like saying she was doing it for publicity or whatever and so I did talk about them because I was in a good mental space to be able to talk about it and also that made me really angry yeah no of course that's why we always ask because it's you know it is so personal and thank you so much for being open with us and I always check in yeah totally no I appreciate that you asked that is totally fine talk us through when you and Bryce decided you want to have children how did that all go down well we both always wanted to have kids like that was on the cards like straight away like Bryce was you know he's seven years older than me so he was very ready to have kids and I wanted to have kids younger as well and I think you spend your whole life up until that point trying not to get pregnant and then when you want to get pregnant you think it's just going to be as easy as like stop using contraception and wham bam thank you ma'am it's done ski and it's just in the reality it's not that easy and it turned out that I had a septum in my uterus which is like it was like a two and a half millimeter piece of tissue in my uterus um so the blood supply like usually in uterus would go like around and around right so mine had this tissue on it so I would get pregnant and a baby would like implant on the left hand side and then it would come the time when it's due for my period and the right hand side would be like all right it's period time and just start shedding because it didn't know that there was a baby on that side and so then I would have a miscarriage and so my first one, we went to have the scan. That was my first pregnancy. You had no idea. Didn't even consider the fact that it could go wrong. And they were like, oh, you know, there's, I'm not seeing a pregnancy, a six-week pregnancy here. And I was like, oh, like, am I further along? Holy crap. I had a beer, like blah, 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 or whatever. And she was like, no, I'm not seeing a pregnancy at all. And she was really cold about it, which still makes me mad. But I think it's just, she must do it all the time. And then... The next one, if I hadn't done a pregnancy test, I would have just thought I had a really heavy period, like wouldn't have known. And then the third time was the shittest one because it was the first time 
I had a really dark line. It was the first time I got the sore boobs that I felt nauseous. It was awful. And it was the first time we'd heard a heartbeat as well. By this point, I had learnt what a good heartbeat was and what wasn't. And I've got a video of it of Bryce being really excited and you videoing the heartbeat and you can hear me going, yay. And then because I can, I could read it and I was like, that's too low. And I was waiting for bad news. And then she was like, oh, your heart, like the heartbeat's really low. Like I think what we should do is come back in a couple of days. And basically we came back in a couple of days and his heartbeat had just like slowly stopped. And I think I was nine, yeah, I was nine weeks and, was I nine weeks? Something around there. And so I got a DNC that time where you surgically get it taken out. And that was how we found out that it was a boy. And I think that that, that was definitely the hardest of the three miscarriages because it had, we knew it was gender and it was, we heard his heartbeat and it was really like, you know, and one of my biggest regrets now is I like, do you want the remains? And I was like, no, because this wasn't the frame of mind. But now I'm like, shit, should I have like kept that and buried it somewhere? I don't know. But um, yeah, so I went in and I feel like Sharky is what we called him because he looked like a shark on his scam. I feel like his reason for being was to lead him to Tyson and that was because when I got the DNC, I really fought hard to get the DNC and not do it naturally. I just didn't have it in me emotionally to do a third natural miscarriage. And I had the DNC done by this guy, Amar Alabid, and he came in and I was like, oh, this guy's nice. And he was like really awesome, like in the like the operating room. And he was kind of like making it a little lighthearted. And then... Um, he came and afterwards and he says, Hey, um, I'm Amar. I just did your, um, your DNC. I'm really sorry. And I was like, God, thanks. And he goes, look, I think you have a septum in your uterus. And this made me so angry when he explained it to me because I'd asked multiple times to have my uterus scanned and got told there was nothing wrong with it. It was just slightly heart shaped, blah, blah. He's like, I think you've got a septum in your uterus. I can take it out, but you need to wait three months. He's like, I can get it out. And I think that that is what's causing your miscarriages. And I was like, um, okay. So then he showed us like how to get on the public list. And we waited, we waited three months. We could have done it privately, but it was really expensive. But I also just felt there was something about Amar that I was like, you have to do it. And so we went back three months later and I had the septum removed and then I went home and recovered. And then I came, came back for the post-op and, Amar was, he was like, oh, well, we'll see how you go now. And um, just so you know, I'm an obstetrician. So when you get pregnant, let me know. And if you need an OB, I'll be your OB. Because I know you better than anyone else. Like, obviously, because he's operated twice on me now. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. And so Amar ended up being one of the first people we told that we're pregnant. I found his cell phone number on the internet and I texted him. was like, Amar, I'm pregnant. And then he became our obstetrician and he was him and our midwife, Denise, were just like a godsend. They were like a superhero team it was like having parents in the room with me at all times and yeah he was but I feel like that was like Sharky's reason to being like the whole reason of his existence was to lead me to lead us to Tyson so yeah and then eventually the the he Amar was right and that got that surgery and then got pregnant with Tyson and I ended up getting like placenta previa which is basically where your placenta is over your exit route so you can't go into labor so I had to have Tyson by C-section like two weeks early and I had to go on to GA as well which was pretty shit well it was good but because obviously you're knocked out so you don't feel anything weird but it was pretty shit and I felt pretty guilty because I didn't get that moment of seeing my baby with my husband for the first time but Amar was so awesome and him and Denise brought Bryce back in because he was not supposed to be in there when you're under GA and they brought Bryce back in to cut the cord and stuff like that and he had like a playlist on so we know that what song he was born to and things like that. So it was a shit run, but it like ended up being worth it in the end because we got Tyson at the end of it. And he's so rad. Yeah. He's He's the cutest. He's so beautiful. And like, yeah, he's such a cute little boy. So yeah, I'm so happy for you. Oh my God. He is such a unit. He is just 
the funniest little showman that is stubborn as fuck. Honestly, Bryce and I look at him and we're like, that's you, that's you, that's you. But he does, he didn't hear it my side eye, which makes me very happy. Like when he gives me a side eye, I'm like, don't look at me with my own face, but I'm also very proud of you. <laughs> oh yeah. And how's that all been? Like, you know, obviously being a mum is like intense and you're juggling, you know, a lot with your work and everything, but how have you been finding that? It's a relentless ride, but it's a relentless ride that's worth it, if that makes sense. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life, for sure, but also the most rewarding and fun, and it's uh, great when they start sleeping, so that eventually happens, which is great. It has been just, there's no words to actually describe it. I think there's a lot of things that women can be really judgmental and hard on each other about, whether it's if you gave birth naturally with no drugs, or if you gave birth with drugs, or if you gave birth with a C-section. Who gives a shit how you gave birth? As long as your baby comes out in one piece, that's all that matters. And people can be so judgmental on that shit, and it makes me so angry. And the same with breastfeeding. Some people are natural breastfeeders. Some people, like me, struggle with breastfeeding. To me, I hated breastfeeding. Like, I wish that I liked it. I wish I'd been good at it, but I wasn't. I kept getting mastitis. It made me feel really... There's this thing, and my friend actually found out what it was, when your milk actually lets down when you just feel despair. And it's like... And a lot of women get it, and it's just never talked about until my friend like put it on this this mum's page. And, was like, and so many women was like, oh, my God, I had that. But Tyson ended up being allergic to my milk. He had like a cow protein allergy and so it was so severe that the pediatrician was like no more breastfeeding for you. And I remember him being like, I'm so sorry. But I was like, that is the best thing you've ever said because I felt so guilty about how much I did not enjoy this. But I just I wasn't good at it. And some people are and amazing to the people that are. But I think we just need to stop judging each other and as long as we're all feeding our kids and they're healthy and they're alive and they're thriving, then go hard like because Tyson has grown at the same stat as he was when he was breastfed to when he was not breastfed so as long as you feed your kid like shut up on your judgment on everybody else exactly that's so cool hey you've talked a bit about your like your wellness plan and your things you do what are some of your other go-to self-care practices to keep yourself feeling healthy and happy Pilates is a massive thing for me because you have to concentrate on your breathing so I do reformer Pilates and I love it and I know you do it as well and it's like everything is based on breath and so it's 45 minutes three times a week where I have to focus on my breathing being right that's been a real game changer for me I used to like this is so emo but I used to like when I felt depressed listen to music like Snow Patrol and you know and then that just further makes you more depressed and so now like if I'm feeling sad I will not listen to sad music I have a motivational playlist that I put on and I listen to to that I don't listen to any sad music in the morning um I have this thing where and it was something I started on maternity leave and I would fold the washing or whatever and you're like sit down have a nap blah 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 and I was like no I want to do the washing because I know if I start doing the washing and I finish doing the washing I have done a task today start to finish and so I start every single day making my bed and it sounds so stupid I have throw pillows and everything and I'm real passionate about it I've got two duvet covers that I switch between and I make my bed look pretty and it's the first thing I do every single day so I start my day every day with an achievable task that I have done and dusted before I've even gotten dressed and so as soon as you get out you're like woo and even like some days that's really hard and it feels like those pillows weigh a ton and I'm just like just make the bed Sharon like you've just got to make the bed and then you'll see that you can do this today like come on that's also like the first trigger sign for Bryce if I'm not a hundy is he'll come home and the bed's either not made or half made and he'll be like okay something's going on here because I couldn't get through making my bed or whatever but I think it's really important to have that and like little pockets of sunshine around your house whether it's like a nice smelling diffuser or always having a nice body wash or splashing out on the flash shampoo and conditioner like whatever just having those little things that make you feel good I've got these like little um I got this little bowl from cheetah i think you're supposed to put like oils in it or rock salt but i have it to put chocolate in and like when i eat my chocolate out of it i feel so bougie and like it's just things like that where having little pockets of sunshine around you all the time just really help i think in a routine as well because I, I know what you mean like you get up if you're feeling a bit anxious in the morning which often happens people with anxiety you get up you know you do your routine and just by doing that you do actually feel a lot better than lying in bed just feeling worse like for longer so yeah i think routine's super helpful hey 
Yeah, and I think also with the first lockdown, I've just remembered this now, my screen time was out the gate. And so now I, like, put myself, I'm, like, weaning myself off it now, but I put myself on this, like, screen time block where literally all I could do was text, like, five specific people and receive calls from five specific people from 2 p.m. till 7 p.m. every day to try and get, because my screen time is getting up to, like, eight, nine hours a day during lockdown. And so now I'm like, I don't want screen time over four hours because I don't use my phone a lot for work as well. So I'm like, four hours no more than four hours and it's doing that screen time block really helped me put my phone down and it's and it's interesting like how much that's even helped my relationship with like Jaden and Dan who I do the show with because I'm not on my phone the whole time and I have to look up and like talk to them and but it helps yeah what is some advice knowing what you know now that you would give to your younger self younger little Sharon what would you tell her uh I would tell her that school doesn't last forever I would tell her that when it comes to friends it is quality over quantity it is better to have one epic friend that puts in just as much as you put in that has your back all the time it is way better to have that one friend than have five friends that treat you like shit also which some of my friends will laugh at because I do like what I feel like a dick saying I have a lot of friends but like my friends will be like Sharon you literally are the person that can't have a birthday party without inviting shitloads of people because you feel bad if someone's going to feel left out and it's good to give a shit what people think but don't give a shit about what shit people think. Don't let the people that actually don't have your best interests at heart make you feel less than. Like, if, if someone wants to give you constructive criticism, awesome. But if someone's just being a dick, like, don't let them in. Just don't let them in. And then that's really easier said than done, and I am not practicing what I preach with that sometimes. But I think that that is really important, like, to just not let people amplify the monster that's already inside your brain telling you bad shit yeah no totally because that can put you off doing the thing which you're really meant to do and you're really good at i yeah i totally relate with that yeah Yeah. you've given us so much advice throughout this and even just now uh for others to take away but is there any other advice you would like to share with those listening who you know want to have a rad life and do cool things like you have been doing i think always be kind to yourself but not in an arrogant way, just be kind to yourself. But my biggest thing is attitude is everything. If you've got a good attitude, that will get you so much further than anything else. Attitude is everything. Don't sit on the wall and wait for shit to happen for you. Get out there and make it happen without being a punisher, but like get out there and like say yes to as many opportunities as you possibly can. And if you have a good attitude, that is just going to take you such a long way because the cream always rises eventually. And if you're going to have a shit attitude and you're going to be a dick to people, then that eventually, those people eventually are not going to do themselves any favors. But if you are always kind to other people and you have a good attitude, then you'll be surprised how much that can do for you. Oh, such good advice. Hey, thank you so much for your time, Sharon. This has been so cool. So cool chatting no with worries. you. No worries. I'm so sorry if I had like real long answers. I always get paranoid when I get interviewed. Oh, I know. I, I, that I, I hate, hate being interviewed. Do. I'm like, oh, well, God, I'm better at interviewing Same. people. <laughs> no, you smashed I'd it. I'd much rather talk to other people about their lives and talk about my own life and I know that I do that thing that when I interview people I hate is when they get like real long answers and you're like fuck man like can you speed this up like no. that's a really long answer I love it if it's like more like a proper conversation you did, you did great <laughs> Oh, thank good. you. But well, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I bloody love this podcast, and I have had some uh, had some great listens. Very jealous about Mel C, but I loved my favorite episode so far was definitely Hanel and Jesse's episodes. They were so good. But you honestly do such a good job, Belle, and I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I honestly, I genuinely am so proud of you because I know that. You've had a rough couple of years, but you fucking you have made something very, very beautiful, and you've helped a lot of people with this podcast. Aww. So you should be extremely proud of yourself. That's very I'm nice. Very I really appreciate that coming from you. Thank you. It's so nice. We've grown out of our stage of dressing like the Veronicas, and we're still going. <laughs> I, sometimes I like to be a little bit Veronicasy, like obviously not full, but like I'll still have tops or things, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm actually a little bit Veronica still, but like not to, not as obsessed like I used to be. Honestly, I was full level. Oh, well, you, Definitely used to have the blue black hair, the red hair bands, the big beads, and the polka dots. We were all about it, yeah. all about being Lisa and Jess. God, <laughs> they are very cool girls. Though. You got to actually hang out with them, though. Oh my god, jealous! Oh my god, they're the best. You should get one of them on the podcast. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. 
Well, you never know what tricks Belly's up to. Something I'm working on for the new year. Basically, just all the people I want to be pals with, we get on the self-love club. In the meantime, you can watch parts of this chat with Sharon on the self-love club podcast Instagram. All the deets in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow on your go-to podcast app. If you're enjoying listening, feel free to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, share with your friends, and you can follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. I'm at Val Crawford and all the places you'll find us in the show notes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.